0: The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IBC Media in San Diego, California. Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high impact topics determining the future of our nation state. Well, we've got an episode today that is near and dear to my heart. I really think it's critically important for some of the big picture issues we're facing in society. Right now, um, and our guest is Danielle Coffey. She is executive vice president and general counsel of the News Media Alliance in DC. They represent the vast majority of newspapers across the country. And you know, look, we live in an age where the quality of the news that we are getting is um, should be top of everybody's mind because it's become a huge issue. We just we live in a very polarized society where people are uh, living with their own media, their own facts, unfortunately. And a lot of that has to do with online behaviors that we've talked about on this show before and how people are getting to their news and how people are consuming their news. And um, the traditional newspaper industry is under assault in a lot of ways that we have never seen before. And I think it's a very little understood problem in part because of the complexity of it. So Danielle is on the show to talk about a new bill that they have in DC that would help correct some of this imbalance. Um, I'm not going to give you the whole explanation of it here. I will say this, you will, you will learn a little bit about American antitrust law. And please don't tune out when I say that. It's actually a core component of economics throughout our society and underlies so much of what we do. And those laws in this case are actually creating quite a problem that is really inhibiting the flow of free and accurate information. So. Uh, sometimes the, the way to solve problems are dense. Danielle, I think does a great job on this show of explaining it in English that non-lawyers can understand. And if you're a lawyer, uh, well, that's your own problem. So, uh, so either, either way, I think you're gonna be okay with, uh, with this episode. So thanks for listening. Our guest is Danielle Coffey. There's more to come after this quick break. This is the Nation State of Play podcast powered by Neptune Ops.
1: American democracy is good, but we can make it better. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers includes organizations across the country who are working right now to build a better democracy by opening primaries, implementing safe, secure voting systems, reducing corruption, and increasing transparency. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, to hear updates from the latest movements in the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org.
0: Welcome back to the Nation State of Play podcast. Well, Danielle, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you.
2: Thank you for having me, Brian. I'm I'm happy to be here and talk about this important issue.
0: Great. Well, could you tell me a little bit about your organization to start the News Media Alliance and who you represent, what you focus on?
2: Yeah, happy to. Um, The News Media Alliance, we're a trade association here in D.C., Um, We represent the news publishers across uh, the country uh, in the United States and also internationally in Europe, and we represent them in um, regulatory and legislative and industry initiatives to make sure that the news publishers have adequate um, laws and protections to make sure that they can monetize their valuable content because quality journalism is uh, important to society, it's important to a functional democracy, and having our um, rep- representation here in DC is important to ensuring that in and having a sustainable future, especially as We find that there are so many sources of information and the level of quality of that information, you know, is not always necessarily going to be at the standard of care that newspapers for hundreds of years have held themselves to. They put their name on their products and, um, you know, I could, I could uh, go on to what we're seeing in society, but why don't I stop there? Because I could go on.
0: Well, that. I, I, I'd like you to. You know, that's part of the reason we wanted to have you on the yeah. show. This, this is such a critical issue. With it really, is. we're, we're in the midst of this long-term upheaval of how people consume their news and this has become really vivid in the last, you know, call it 18 months in particular with all kinds of social media disinformation out there. So I, I would like you to tee that up and talk about kind of what you see going on in the industry, changes in how people are consuming their news and why this is so critical right now.
2: Sure. Um, and, you know, that to what we were just saying, receiving news and information, what is news? What is information? And, and our news publishers Uh, Stand behind their work, like I said. We have a standard of care. We have corrections. We have um, we have fact-based reporting, and that's what needs to be protected because quality journalism, love us or hate us, in local communities, it's where they go for information that you can't receive elsewhere. So the pandemic, the registration of vaccine, the uh, openings and closings of schools, businesses, we saw this huge surge in our audience especially i mean a perfect example through an unfortunate event was the global pandemic and we saw our audience surge through the roof but we you know we were essential you know workers our reporters were on the beat um, size uh, you know the government said we were essential workers yet we're closing our newspapers at, at an accelerated rate across the country So what does that say? That says that we have a broken marketplace. Our content is distributed primarily through two companies, Google and Facebook. When people go to Google and Facebook, they don't leave. 65% of people stay within these walled gardens that have been created um, intentionally so that Google and Facebook can extract the consumer data, which is their currency, turn it into advertising and spit advertising back out to the same, same readers. They don't leave, they don't come to our website and this intermediation between us and our readers is hurting not just our ability to monetize um, our content, which consumers are willing to pay for, but it's hurting our relationships with our readers because we wanna know what they're interested in. We wanna to continue to build that relationship that we've had for hundreds of years. Again, love us or hate us, they really do have a relationship, especially at the local level with the local newspaper. So,
0: Yeah. yeah go, no, go ahead, please.
2: I was just going to say, when you do come through, when somebody does click through, we're hit on the advertising because Google and Facebook own the advertising ecosystem and they take 50 to 70 percent of every advertising dollar. So we're double hit. We're double hit by the platforms and we need a better deal and I'll get to our legislation. But that's the problem. So how do you solve it?
0: Yeah, but yeah, and and I want to actually dig into the mechanics of actually what's happening on the problem a little bit more, in it. and and okay. this may seem a little technically dense, but you know we're we're political tech people, and and uh, as I'm always told by our listeners, they like the policy wonk issues. This is this is a show where we actually get a little more into the weeds, and I do want our delegation to understand exactly what you mean is happening. When people get stuck in these walled gardens, so so let me just walk through the Google scenario because because this yeah. is the one that I find like the most maddening. So so people Google are vaccines safe or you know do vaccines cause infertility? I didn't even want to repeat all the crazy things that are going on yep. about vaccines. So they Google it, and what you're saying is they just get the the Google hit that comes back with a quick you know sort of two line or three line summary, and they never even go beyond that to click. To the ultimate source of that information is that right
2: that's um a really good question and people do not realize this we actually spent two years doing a study and talking to consumers or newspapers exactly what you're asking because if you really think about it open up your browser on your phone let's say and you type in uh, where can i get vaccinated let's use your example the first thing you're going to get is something, it's a, it's a pretty little carousel at the top. It's a bunch of pictures with, you know, um, a description underneath. And it's an article. It's our articles. And they call that those AMP articles, accelerated mobile pages. It, um, it loads quickly. So Google is offering this as the place to go. You go through AMP. The problem with AMP articles is that it's not, you're not going to the news, news publication. You're actually staying on Google. It's got a little lightning bolt in the upper right-hand corner of um, the the little tile, the little box in the carousel. And that means it's an AMP article. That means we don't get the data. We don't get as much data. We get lower subscriptions than organic traffic, what people call vanilla traffic. And we also get less advertising. Then after after you get to the carousel, scroll down a little bit more. You have what's called featured snippets. And what what that does is it gives you a little paragraph to answer your question. You can get vaccinated at Arlington, I live in Virginia, Arlington, um, you know, community center, da, 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 da. So I'll never click through to the WTOP website that actually had that because it told me. And then. Below that, you have these little lines that answer your question with an arrow and you can click down and the arrow drops down and it answers more and more questions you might have also asked. Sure. Finally, when you get below that, you have advertiser promoted content. I, I, I could go on. You stay within their garden. You do not leave. You never click through the website. When you do, we get half the money we're
0: owed. So, so everything about that Google experience is designed to keep you there. And Facebook works similarly, right?
2: You know, some would say Facebook is even worse because the content that you actually find in Facebook is of, of, we'll say clickbait value and it's even less, um, you know, which is why they've run into so much trouble with misinformation and censorship because it is user posted and then conspiracy theories um, you have, you know, just unverified information news really needs the less news you have the more that void is going to be filled by garbage so that it's even bigger problem on facebook from a quality perspective to be honest
0: i assume like same problem. Twitter's obviously the worst on, on all this stuff but but same concept on twitter where people are just really posting whatever they want in that case and, and not leaving twitter
2: Twitter is a little different because actually two companies make up our referral traffic, which is why we're most concerned with Google and Facebook. With regard to what you're talking about, misinformation, um, you know, that's that's obviously a real societal question. As far as a news publisher monetization challenge, Google and Facebook make up 67% of our referral traffic. Twitter, very, very little.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk about the build that you have. What's it called? Give us an overview of it. And then I'd love to dig into some of these specific provisions.
2: Yeah. So how do we fix this? Right. You're like, great. (laughs) We've got a problem. What are we going to do about it? Um, you know, the biggest problem that we have, we news publishers have with Google and Facebook is that It's very difficult, if not impossible, to negotiate with a monopoly, especially on your own. No one newspaper has enough power to be able to get fair market value for the content of their work. It's just not possible. It's proven to be not possible. You need legislation. Uh, That was proven in Australia because Wall Street Journal News Corp um, had a law that passed there and it really it really they'll say it was successful in getting as close to fair market value as you could possibly get here in the us we are working on similar legislation we have been since 2017 that's called the journalism competition and preservation act it allows us to collectively negotiate with the tech platforms for a better deal it only included that safe harbor from antitrust laws to collectively negotiate because we can't today, it's illegal, to get us enough leverage. And what we learned through the past, I want to say a couple years, the pandemic included in that broken marketplace that I described, showed us how bad the problem is and that these platforms are not willing participants and we can get together and have leverage, but it's it's probably not going to be enough. So what we need and what we're adding to it and we were talking about this a little bit before, is strengthened language that would ensure that the goal of the legislation is accomplished. It's a bipartisan measure. So Republicans and Democrats alike want this to work because at the local level, it's not a conservative liberal issue. It's the mayor putting out enough snow clouds is not going is not a um, national debate. It's what the neighborhood cares about. It's not liberal conservative. Everybody wants that article to continue to be written and that information to be delivered to their communities. So it's a bipartisan bill sponsored by the top antitrust um, members in both committees. Um, In the Senate, it's the chairwoman and also Senator Kennedy. Uh, In the House, it's Chair, Chairman Cicilline, and ranking, ranking member of the subcommittee, Ken Buck
0: from Colorado.
2: Um, I'll stop there.
0: Yeah, so <clears throat> there's a lot I want to unpack there, and yep. uh, <laughs> great, great, oh, great, great overview. Now, I want to actually explain this antitrust issue, your lawyer, I'm, I'm just a reformed, self-hating lawyer these days, but I but I <laughs> want our non-lawyer listeners to understand the core of what we're talking about and why antitrust laws currently prevent you from doing this. So, so can you unpack that?
2: Yeah. So antitrust laws, it's not um, it's a competitive problem. When you're dealing with monopolies, monopolies decide the rules. Um, There are regulators, they're bigger than government, you know, they just, you can't get around them. No matter what laws you have that protect your content, they'll say, "Fine, take it or leave it. Leave my platform," and that's a Hobson's choice. It's like asking somebody, um, "Okay, fine, don't breathe. You know, you can't go without air." So we can't negotiate. We have no, um, we have no leverage to negotiate with a dominant monopoly and uh, ability to curb their anti-competitive, which is a antitrust legal term, they, act, they don't just have the power, they abuse it. So you have to show that they have the power, their monopoly and in, under antitrust, how do they abuse it? How do they hurt consumers with it? And then antitrust laws like Cicilline and Klobuchar, like the law we're talking about, the JCPA, we call it the Journalism Competition Act, the JCPA, um, reverses that marketplace imbalance. It's a broken marketplace when someone has too much power and they abuse it, and antitrust laws are in place to curb that and to fix it. And this law is a reflection, this law will be a reflection of antitrust fixing the marketplace.
0: But I want to I want to grab this additional step for the people who uh, don't understand that this is a core component of American law, which is we are not under antitrust laws typically allowed to collaborate with competitors in your case, other news organizations and negotiate for common prices on things that that's sort of a fundamental tenet of American law. But I want to explain that for our listeners who may not be familiar with it. Can you, so maybe just explain why that exists?
2: Yes, absolutely. And I'll give you a good example for, um, your listeners that exists to protect, um, because you don't want collusion in the marketplace, you don't want price fixing, you don't want companies just getting together and and making, you know, um, any everyday product you use, like, um, you know, price of cars, anything that you don't want people getting together. And then it turns out poorly for the consumer, because if you can price fix, then, um, and if you can collude, then prices go up. However, in a case where the marketplace is broken, such as a dominant monopoly. You do want the leverage because otherwise the opposite happens. There is, um, there is harm to the producer of something like news, which is important to consumers that aren't paid. And so that means reduced news and quality information so you want to you want to tilt the skills because it's broken so it goes one way to make sure that that one company and a group of companies aren't too powerful and sometimes they need to have more power when you have a monopoly and and the example that i'll give you is apple um apple was trying to help the news publisher or i'm sorry the book publishers uh because amazon in this case uh, that i'm giving you this example, Amazon had too much power and they were lowering book prices so much that the book publishers couldn't even make a profit because Amazon could offer it for that much. Um, I can go into their flywheel economic theory, but another time, but basically they could charge so low that it hurt book publishers. They weren't even making a profit. So the book publishers went to Apple and said, Hey, can we work together? Because we want to, we want to raise our prices on our books so we can make money here. And Apple started working with them and the book publishers got hit by the DOJ because they were colluding And in that perverse ruling, it chilled the ability for little guys to get together to have the leverage that they need when they're hurt by a dominant monopoly. Same thing here. We need to be able to get together. We need some leverage because we need to rebalance a broken system. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, it's a great explanation. And, you know, for for our listeners who want to understand just where this stuff came from, think Teddy Roosevelt in the days of railroad monopolies and steel. And this this goes back to the earliest days of the progressive movement of really trying to break up these trusts, as as we used to call them. Um, So that's what the antitrust laws are designed to do. And now we're in this new age of tech. Where uh, you know the sort of the traditional ways that we we thought about abuses of monopoly power now are applying to the new biggest companies in the country, which are, are mostly based where I live here in Silicon Valley as it turns out so so the world yeah. has changed, but the problems are still the same yeah um, so there are other issues going on in the media industry that's also hurting the media industry at the same time and I know these are not directly addressed by the bill, but I I do want to just flag some of these because we also live in a time where we're really having a radical change in how people consume advertising itself, even if you set aside the funneling problem of where the readers are coming from you know my firm we we spend a lot with programmatic advertising which is not the most popular thing to most media clients because it puts a lot of middle parties in between them and the end use advertiser i I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the other issues the industry's facing and and how that contributes the economic problems being faced by media companies across the country
2: Oh yeah, there, there's countless abuses, like what we're talking about and how it affects consumers. So I'll just give two quick examples. Um, one is what you just touched on, which is the privacy issue. Consumers, especially in California, who I believe are predominantly your listeners, are, um, are very savvy. They're very aware of their right to privacy and um, their interest in data collection so much so that there was a law that was passed in California And it protects their ability to give notice and and, um, consent when their information is used. And you see that pop-up of the same shoe that you looked at, you know, a month ago um, in an advertisement. And so... While news publishers would be actually benefited in a world where contextual advertising, meaning I have a relationship with you, so I know what you like. I know you just read this article. I know you have a baby. I'm going to show you Johnson baby shampoo. That would actually do well for us because we give such deep content and such deep knowledge of our readers and we have that relationship. So we would do better in a world where we're very aligned with consumers in that regard where these platforms who follow you across the entire internet are, are tracking you and serving things back up to you. Whereas our relationship, our one-on-one relationship is very aligned with protecting your privacy. And so we're actually very, um, very um, supportive of what California is doing in that regard. Whereas obviously that is going to hurt the platform's model of collecting your data and using it to track you. Uh, The other thing is structural separation. You could probably fix the problem, Um, but that's a long-term goal. Structural separation means you break up the company so that you can't share, so that you don't go on Instagram and you have that same information used over at Facebook and over at WhatsApp and over at whatever else it is that the same company owns so that they can't follow you throughout the internet. Break them up. You can't share information across all these verticals. That's one You can't uh, self-preference, there's another law. So there's a lot of long-term solutions to this monopoly problem, privacy being a a really proactive, California was very proactive in addressing the privacy issue, but our immediate problem where we aren't getting enough revenue from our content, um, it's so urgent that the JCPA addresses uh, that urgent problem in an immediate way, which is why we're pushing it alongside these long-term solutions.
0: Makes a ton of sense. So I, I want to dig a little bit more into this Australia example that you mentioned. This was really controversial, got a ton of interesting press. I think it was hard for us to follow in the States in a lot of ways, um, but certainly has a lot of implications for how you're, you're handling this now. So give us, a, give us a sense of kind of what happened and then the standoff and how that standoff was resolved. I think it's a great story about political power here, if nothing else. Yeah.
2: I mean, it was interesting. It was during the pandemic. So Anyway, it made it all the more interesting because like I said, the world noticed, oh, wow, we've got a problem. That's why the Australians did it. It was April of 2020. So it was a month after the pandemic started and Australia noticed, whoa, our newspapers are, are hurting. How is this possible? <coughs> Excuse me. They have so much audience and it just magnified a problem. Australians step in and they started doing what they called, quote unquote, the, the code the code which made um, Google and Facebook have to pay news publishers, and what um, and there was no way out of it. It had teeth. I'll just I'll just say it simply. There was no way for them to get out of it. So Google and Facebook had to come to the table and pay.
0: But, it, but in that case, just to make sure about it, was government actually setting the prices as opposed to collective bargaining amongst the media companies? Is that right?
2: No, it wasn't. Um, No uh, initiative actually has government setting the prices, which I think is really good because it keeps it market-based, which is why Republicans continue to support it because the parties have to negotiate. So what they did in the code, and then I'll get into how Google and Facebook reacted because it was was entertaining. Um, The code required that the companies could collectively negotiate, just like our bill. And they added baseball style arbitration. Meaning if the company's negotiated, you couldn't come to a re- result, baseball arbitration, which base, MLB uses, baseball uses. The parties get together, you put down your offers and then an arbitrator gets to pick the best offer. What that does is it's, it incentivizes you to put down a reasonable offer because if the other guy's offer gets picked, you're at, uh, you know, it, it incentivizes you to come to the table and be reasonable. And it was successful in this case, um, you know, to jump to the end, it was successful. And Google and Facebook, because of the threat of that, that type of arbitration, they came to the table and they paid close to fair market value for all size publications. The small ones just wrapped up their negotiations last week. It's a misconception. Google is saying this is a Rupert Murdoch bill. No, that's not true. The small publishers were paid. Everyone ended up getting a fair deal. And it wasn't a link tax. It was for the value of their whole content. Um, There was a lot of, you know, scare tactics put out there. But at the end of the day, they ended up paying. But real quick, to your point, what did Google and Facebook do? Facebook, Google threatened. Facebook actually did it. Shut down all of news in Australia. Wait, during... Vaccination time. So people were trying to get news and information about where to go get vaccinated, and they couldn't find it because everybody goes through Facebook and Google. We know that, and they couldn't find how to get vaccinated. And Facebook it totally blew up in their face. They got uh, so much heat for that. Oh, they shut down um, actual government websites by mistake because you know what's news? That whole question. It oh, was. Really? It was actually entertaining.
0: <clears throat> So they initially shut it down, and then had to turn it back on right away. Right away, just faced with enormous public backlash. I mean, this is the Uber. By by, you know, we've been dealing with this Prop Twenty Two issue for a long time. Uber has Uber has many times um, threatened to pull out of California if they haven't gotten their way, and have come very close to doing it sometimes. So, uh, yeah that that's uh, that's an interesting overreach for sure. Google never actually pulled the trigger; they just made the idle threat.
2: No, they didn't, okay. they just okay. made the idle threat, which was, uh, yeah, they, create, they did something different. Um, they'd created a side product and siphoned people through there um, to at least control the terms and um, through this thing called Google showcase that they're still trying to push.
0: Okay, so, uh, but now in Australia, they basically have the result that you're trying to get right and yeah the companies aren't out of business they're they're still able to make money mark zuckerberg's still able to you know buy buy new islands in hawaii and that sort of stuff no no one didn't able, break the,
2: it didn't break yeah. the internet let's didn't, just put it,
0: that way. it it didn't break the internet yeah um well yeah i think i, I think it's such an instructive example from a strong ally with a very similar culture and media issues in a lot of ways okay so um yeah, I mean, your your bill essentially does the same thing. Any key differences from what you just described with the Australia approach in your bill?
2: Uh, you know, in our bill... Um, well, we have very different legal systems. So, and I won't go into that, how they're different in very nuanced ways, because that's not important for your listeners. Um, it's important for the legislators and for the implementation for it to work out correctly, but, you know, so, so we have to be very judicious in how we apply certain things. They don't have the first amendment in Australia, so on and so forth. So we have to be very, very thoughtful how we go about this and transfer what we've learned in Australia and also Europe. You know, we can't forget about what Europeans got paid. You know, they're currently negotiating. And so we're transferring everything over, but it's very similar to Australia. Our bill also has to um, ensure that small and local publishers get paid because we're different from Australia in, in um, our landscape of news. We're very bottom heavy. We have a ton, like if there's a pyramid, we have a ton of local newspapers across our country, um, much more so than Australia. And so it was really important that small and local publishers get paid and that they get paid equitable terms. So that is one thing that we're, we are emphasizing in our legislation.
0: So your bill has a four-year exemption, is that right? From the antitrust why four years?
2: So when originally written, we didn't want to append antitrust laws. You never know what the, the, what the future is gonna hold. You also have an interest in what we were talking about before why antitrust laws is, exist in the first place. This is a remedy for the period of time in which there's anti-competitive um, behavior because of the monopolies. And for the next foreseeable uh, four years, 48 months, um, it's expected that they will continue to be a monopoly, so that limited in time prevents it from, you know, undoing antitrust laws that are are meant for to, you know, to create a fun, functional economic relationship between between partners and parties. And for four years, it was um, a safe and limited uh, way to go about this. Is and it also has it's also limited in scope. It only applies to news publishers and broadcasters who hire reporters. Um, it It's very, it's a scalpel. It's market driven, which is why it's uh, supported by Republicans, intended to address a limited and narrow problem for a limited period of time.
0: Okay. So um, would the prices be the same across the country for media outlets or is is this essentially like one master negotiation that takes place? I understand there's different sizes of the media industries, but this isn't like a state by state negotiation. This is something that would happen collectively through presumably your trade association or some similar body.
2: We envision a collective negotiation, if not just for practical reasons. There's, like I said, there are there are thousands of newspapers across our country. So it, it really, for practical reasons, does have to happen in a collective way. However, the bill does allow for opt-outs, meaning if you want to have a bilateral bilateral conversation with Google and Facebook, um, you should be allowed to. I mean, you won't have the same amount of leverage or, you know. Um, But, you know, you should be allowed to.
0: So, yeah, maybe just tell us a little bit about what's going on with the bill and when you expect any key votes to be coming up that people should be aware of.
2: Yeah. Um, So like we were talking about before, we're really happy that we just came to um, an agreement on where we're headed as far as the um, big picture framework that will look like, like I said, a lot like Australia. It was successful and why not? Mm And again, with the nuances that we have to take into consideration to make sure that you know, it's constitutional, make sure that you know, different types of speech, different types of content aren't harmed. You need to make sure you know, the conservatives, um, we, have a, we have a real adversary, which is um, Breitbart and Jim Jordan. It's, it's, uh, I would note those two voices because they're very concerned that conservatives will be harmed, which is ironic because they'll be the last people to pay be paid without legislation. I mean, we've saw proof of that, you know, uh, 15 companies were chosen for the Facebook news tab and Breitbart wasn't one of them. So ironically, this would actually help them. Whereas without legislation, it wouldn't um, they wouldn't have a chance. And so we're, we've made changes to the bill, like I said, to address those concerns to put more teeth to make sure that the, the legislation is actually effective, that it accomplishes its goal. And then the next step would be um, marking it up in the House Judiciary Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee, who's been read in and participates in, you know, has participated in the process. And then ultimately, we're going to have to compete uh, realistically with um, the budget reconciliation package the infrastructure bill, the voting rights bill, everything else Congress is dealing with. So in quiet moments, you try to grab the attention you can, and we're going to have to fight for that throughout this fall. And we're going to have to fight hard. So we need the newspapers to be voicing this to their members of Congress, because it is a priority while you know, respecting the other priorities they're dealing with. This is important. And the members of Congress need to support it and they need to support their local news outlets. Um, and the fall will be critical for its movement.
0: And, and this is you know, something that would need 60 votes in the Senate, Not certainly not subject to reconciliation, right?
2: Correct. It would not be germane. They call it to reconciliation, so it would have to write it, which is why it's so important to keep it uh, bipartisan.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, this is such an important topic. You know, we, we have a variety of tech issues that we've talked about on the show in the last few months. And one of the points that I think is just really important for California policymakers to, to keep in mind and all of our listeners is um, these these tech companies are by and large California companies. And I really think we have a special responsibility in California to be proactively thinking about these issues um, if we do not have reasonable regulations and reasonable approaches in this space, we're going to get unreasonable (laughs) regulatory approaches in this space, and I think it's, um, you know, we've seen the California legislature try to approach it in that spirit, um, certainly in the, um, the context of privacy and some other things. Um, I really think this is something that everybody in the delegation needs to take a hard look at. A lot of these tech companies I know are in your district, so that can sometimes be difficult, but it's really important to remember that the readers and the consumers, there's a lot more of them and they're in your district as well. So, Danielle, hey. just a yeah, hugely important topic. Um, it's a wonky one. It's perfect for our show. You know, we, <laughs> we have wonky ones, you know, but I but, uh, appreciate people sticking with the uh, discussion about antitrust laws for a half hour. And <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you so much, Brian.
0: We invite you to share story ideas, comments, and questions. Find us at neptuneops.com or on Twitter at, at NationStateOfP1. Again, that's at NationStateOfP and then the number one. Follow us and subscribe to listen to all of our episodes as we continue to explore the inside stories driving California policy. The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IBC Media in San Diego, California this is the nation state of play podcast i'm your host brian miller and thank you for listening
1: coming this fall ivc media presents the cannabis enlightened podcast brought to you in part by march and ash my name is chris cantori and let's meet your host dr leroy brady my name is leroy brady i'm a phd I am a college professor. I teach business at San Diego City College. I've been doing that for 21 years. I'm going on 22 now pretty quick. Um, one of the things that I really find exciting about what I'm doing recently is that I'm working in the cannabis space. I'm teaching a course called The Business of Cannabis, which is exciting. Very quickly, I'm becoming the professor that knows the most about cannabis, the business of cannabis, and working with our various cannabis partners here in San Diego. So Dr. Leroy, tell us about the Cannabis Enlightened podcast. Cannabis Enlightened is going to be different. It's not going to be telling you what not to do. It's not going to be telling you that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. It is going to be bringing out some facts that you probably don't know about cannabis. It's going to be more than cultivation and to the dispensary. It is going to be bringing cannabis home to the individual so that you know that cannabis and what comes from cannabis can aid us in our health today and in the future. Well, Dr. Leroy Brady, we certainly look forward to the Cannabis Enlightened podcast here with March and Ash and IVC Media. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun.